I'd like to thank my sponsor for this episode, Organifi. Today, I want to talk to you about their green juice. So one of the biggest complaints I've heard about green drinks is that they taste bad. <laughs> Most green drinks taste like you threw grass clippings and dirt into a glass of water. The good news is Organifi Green is not like that. When you take a sip of it, you'll be surprised at how good it tastes without any crapola in it. It's amazing and refreshing and you don't have to mix a lot of other stuff in it to mask the taste. It's awesome just in water. So if you want to get the vitamins and minerals you need every day, while not having to necessarily eat every single veggie and want it to be cheaper than buying a bunch of organic vegetables as well. You can subscribe and save, get all the organic nutrients you need for as low as $1.98 a day, or just order what you need when you need it. Go to Organifi.com slash over it. Use the promo code over it for 20% off. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode where I am finally, or I guess we, because my hubby's here as well, finally ready, it was me that had to be ready, to share the story of Athena's birth. I've wanted to share it for a while, but I've also not wanted to share it because I was still integrating it. And I hope that sharing it is inspiring for some of you, gives some of you some reassurance, or maybe you'll just find it interesting. If you are currently pregnant and close to birth, I always was very mindful of not really listening to too many other birth stories because I really just wanted to be in my experience. So if you are super close to having a baby, maybe listen to this episode after the baby comes. Again, totally, totally up to you. Spoiler alert, she was born at home. Everything turned out fine. (laughs) But we, you know, I was just mindful when I was pregnant to make sure I wasn't seeding anything from anyone else's journey into my own experience. And I also want to say that any birth is beautiful, whether it's at home or in the hospital or via C-section, any birth, any way that a baby comes into the world is amazing. And any way that a woman gives birth is quite remarkable and incredible. And one thing that really struck me about my whole pregnancy journey and labor and delivery was just how amazing our bodies are. Like truly, you look around at everybody, every single person was in a womb, was in the womb of a woman and and came out. And it's just amazing. And it's, I think it's something that we take for granted. And I just have a deeper level of respect for, for all women and, you know, what, what we do to, to continue to populate the planet. Do you want to say anything before we start? I think that's very sound advice and guidance what you just shared there about really being in your own process if you're close to giving birth. Even even for men that are listening as well, if their partner's close to giving birth as well, you may just want to be in that field with them and not take on too much new information before you go through and traverse your own rite of passage and journey as well. And I guess we can start with just sharing a little bit about the pregnancy journey. I was very, very blessed to have a very healthy pregnancy. My worst symptom was nausea. Remember that first trimester? I was miserable. Yeah, you were. I was so miserable. Oh, so miserable. I could I could barely eat anything. I was just, bleh. So that wasn't so fun. But the rest of the pregnancy, I was kind of nauseous all the way up until the end, off and on. But I really had a beautiful pregnancy, had some pain and discomfort towards like, what, 37 weeks? Started to get a little, 
A little uncomfortable. I mean, you were you became more and more beautiful as you you got bigger and closer to to full term. And I know you were moving a little slower. It was cute watching you waddle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I miss being pregnant. I really loved it. And all my care was midwifery care. I did have a few ultrasounds just to make sure everything was okay. And I needed that for my peace of mind. And all my midwifery appointments were in my home, which was just absolutely beautiful. The level of care I received from my midwives was exquisite. I could text them any questions. Like I said, all their visits were at home. They were very, very empowering of me. Like I did not want to take the, I did not want to do the gestational diabetes test where you drink this orange sugar drink. I just knew I might get a false positive and I just read the ingredients and it didn't really resonate with me. And so I did finger pricking instead and just monitored my blood sugar levels. So they really empowered me to make my own choices, which was an important part for me, you know, and a big thing that I had to, to deal with in my pregnancy was just people panicking about my age. If you're over 40, if, I mean, even if you're over 35, you're considered advanced maternal age and it's considered a risk factor. And I had to really block a lot of that out, but I was glad that that wasn't something that my midwives overly focused on. And I was able to really just enjoy being pregnant and I did hypnobirthing and I read so many books about birth. I read so much about birth and labor and delivery. I probably could have delivered the baby myself. And if I go back in time, I wish I would have read more books about what you do with a baby after it comes. Hmm. <laughs> about like sleep and burping and all those other things. But anyway, I got a crash course in that when she came. Yeah. What do you remember about the pregnancy? Well, just to comment on the gestational diabetes test, you're not to underplay the choice that you made around the test. You really, for lack of a better term, took the hard road with that because it just required a lot of effort. It was very clean and clear and it was very safe to uh, Athena and very safe for you, but it just required a lot of effort. You're picking, pricking your blood multiple times a day, three times a day for three weeks, I believe it was. But also that it was the most accurate, just required a lot of work. And what that showed me, which I knew this about you anyway, was your work ethic, but your commitment and dedication to things that really matter to you and to the birth of our child and to her health as well. I mean, you didn't, you didn't just didn't want to take any risks based on, you know, our and your understanding of health. And that was something that I was really grateful for was that we were and very much are on the same page with respect to how we want to raise our daughter. And I know if there's ever any discrepancies, we, we speak about it openly. Sometimes I get a little hot-headed if I'm very... You never. If I'm very rigid in my belief around something. But generally we're really on, on the same page, which is very reassuring for me, which I also think made the pregnancy a lot smoother for both of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a beautiful time for us. And and I exercised pretty much every day. I was in great shape my whole pregnancy. I think I exercised the day I went into labor probably. And I was moderating things and I wasn't exercising like I used to, but I was moving my body every day, which felt really, really, really good to me. And I think it, it actually <laughs> prepared me for the 38-hour labor that I had. So I guess we should shift into that, huh? Yeah. I, and if anyone has questions on the pregnancy piece, just, just reach out to me. I'm happy to answer anything. And 
also just want to say, like, I have no judgment about choices people make in their pregnancies. It's such an individual thing. I've learned by being in the mama world for a short period of time, there's a lot of opinions and often a lot of judgment. And people can be very rigid and righteous in their opinions and the way things should be done. And everybody's different. Every child is different. Every woman is different. And you really have to decide what's best for you and make decisions that are right for you, not make the decisions that please others, including your practitioners. You know, really, really be empowered in your choices. I think that's our first lesson in motherhood is to listen to our inner knowing and, and know that we we know what's best. And I think <laughs> the the few days leading up to when I went into labor really challenged me on that. So everything was going great. I was 39 weeks and I went in for my last scan at 39 weeks. And my midwives just wanted to make sure like I was clear for a home birth and there were no issues and all that kind of stuff. So I went in for a scan. I always went, I went for ultrasounds because there's mixed stuff out there about ultrasounds. I always was very specific about going as fast as they could and just not really having that machine or whatever it is on, on me for very long. But anyway, so went in for the ultrasound and the technician was like, oh, your amniotic fluid is, is a little high. It's supposed to be between 20 and 25 and yours is 29. And I was like, well, that's not, is that a problem? She's like, well, the doctor's going to come in and talk to you about it. So the doctor comes in. He's like, yeah, it's high. And, um, you know, when your water breaks, it's gonna be a lot. So throw like two or three beach towels in your car. And I said, okay, is there anything else to worry about? No, not really. But he was always, cause he's more, you know, medical minded was always like, well, you're over 40. So like, if you go past 40 weeks, you're going to need to induce. And that was, you know, more pressure I got, which is why I decided on the midwifery route that, you know, I didn't want to have pressure that if I hit 40 weeks, I, I had to be induced. I really wanted to just see, you know, when, when Athena would come on her own. So anyway, we left and we were like, oh, that's not great. But he didn't seem, he did, he, Dr. B didn't seem weird about it at all, did he? He was absolutely fine with it. And because I clarified with him very specifically, not because I was concerned, because I wanted to know what our options and pathways were just in case. And he was very clear that it was nothing to be concerned about. But then we talked to the midwives and their team and I don't know what happened. I talked to one of them. It was fine. But then I got a call back and they were very concerned, which I understand. They're, they're looking out for themselves in terms of liability, but they're also looking out for me and my baby and want to make sure everything's okay. And they were like, well, you know, it could be gestational diabetes. You could have cord prolapse. I don't know. What else did they tell us it could be? Neurological disorders, digestive disorders, a few other. Scary stuff for a 39-week pregnant woman who's about to go into labor. If if anything, with advanced paternal pregnancies, one of the terms that they use. Advanced maternal age. um, Advanced maternal age and pregnancy. Usually, if anything, it's that amniotic fluid is very low. And if it's high, it's high at the beginning of the pregnancy, not at the end. This is obviously things that we learned. I'm not an expert in this space at all. Which So it was very strange that it was high, but the, it's very interesting as to why it was high. Yeah. So they were just concerned and saying, well, we don't feel comfortable with the home birth unless you go back and get another scan and the anodic fluid comes down. And if it doesn't, then, you know, we may encourage you to induce. And it was just like, whoa. Everything was going perfectly. I had no issues and I'm at 39 weeks and then this happens. And I allowed myself 
And honestly, with the hormones that were flying at that time of pregnancy, I don't know that I could have prevented it, but I allowed myself to get very stressed out about it. This was on a Monday, no, a Tuesday. And I didn't sleep like until that Friday morning that we went back and got another test. And I said to my, I said to my midwives, I'm like, look, I drink an insane amount of water. I've always been a huge water drinker. I drink more than the recommended amount for pregnancy. I have a lot of tea. I really like liquids. And I went swimming the day of the scan and I was Googling, can swimming increase amniotic fluid? And lo and behold, it can. And they're like, "Mm, that probably wouldn't do it. It's probably not the case. So what I decided is I was just going to drink the normal amount of recommended water for pregnant women and I wasn't going to swim. And so we went back to the scan on Friday morning and we got a great technician and she knew what the deal was. And I'm like, please do this as quickly as possible. And what was the number? Do you remember? Yeah. 22. 22. 22.2. It dropped from 29 to 22.2. And I share this because I just want to empower all of you that if you're told something, and this is not just in pregnancy, but if you're told something about your health or about you or anything, don't take it for truth. Question it, investigate, go back to your own intuition and your own inner knowing. Because a lot of times people can tell us things about us that, that, that aren't true and can, and we can allow people to get in our heads and create fear when it's really, really not necessary. So I just breathe the sigh of relief. I know my midwives breathe the sigh of relief as well. And that was a Friday. Steph and I went out to lunch and then we got into bed at 10 o'clock, my preferred bedtime. And I said to him, oh, I'm so excited to get a good night's sleep. I haven't slept in three days. Oh, and by the way, that weekend we were going to get the nursery done because I did not think I was going to come, Athena was going to come before 40 weeks. You know, most first pregnancies go beyond 40 weeks. I didn't think she was going to come before that. So we get into bed at 10. I say, I'm so excited to go to sleep. And then what happens? <laughs> was it like 1 a.m. or something? No, it was 11.49. Oh, it was 11.49. Yeah, sorry, it was before midnight. Your water broke. And, oh, man, I remember it like it was yesterday. You were so cute. You were standing there, babe, babe, I think, I think I'm giving birth. <laughs> and there was so much water everywhere. So and I was... So excited, but also at the same time, very confused <laughs> because it, I don't know it felt like it felt it did feel like it was a little early, and I didn't mean it. I didn't mean I didn't feel that it was early, and I was concerned because you were full term. Yeah. More so, just uh, I wasn't meant to sort of be ready for this for another at least another week or two. <laughs> we had another week. Yeah, it was like thirty nine weeks and three or four days or something like that. Only forty weeks. Yeah. So yeah, water breaks. I I well, I woke up and thought I wet the bed. I'm like, wow, I'm, I don't think I've ever wet the bed. How, what just happened? So call the midwife, tell her water breaks. And she's like, okay, you have 36 hours because the rule is, I don't know if it's a law or what, but the rule is once your water breaks, you have 36 hours to get the baby out because then the risk of infection increases. I believe that's accurate. I know it's 36 hours and I think it's because risk of infection increases or anyway, I think that's it. So that was a little bit in my head of, I only have 36 hours to get this baby out. And so my whole labor, I felt a clock ticking in the back of my mind, which wasn't great. That wasn't great. I wasn't totally able to get that out of my head, but I thought, oh, okay, like my body's ready. I've prepped for this. Contractions are already starting. You know, we can get this baby out in 36 hours. (laughs) 
<laughs> so everybody said, go back to bed, try to get some rest. I don't know who can sleep when they're in labor. If you can. Yeah. You weren't in labor. You went back to bed, but I was laying, I was just in bed and my contractions had started and you know, the clock's just ticking. I'm not sleeping. So I've, I think, well, I'm probably not going to be able to wash my hair anytime soon. Hmm? You're about to run the gauntlet. I'm sleeping there peacefully. Yeah. You're thinking to yourself, something's about to come out of me. There's no chance in hell or heaven that you are sleeping. <laughs> Did I wake you up? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Anyway, I wanted you to be in it with me. So I took a shower. I washed my hair. I dried my hair. And the morning came, I had some breakfast and Emmy, my doula, I told her and she came over kind of in the morning and we started just monitoring the contractions and went for a walk. It was a really beautiful, sunny, this was Friday, March, no, this was by now Saturday, March 12th. And we thought she was coming on the 12th. That was the day that I thought she was going to come. Even though I thought I was going to do the nursery that weekend, I really like, when I first found out my due date, I thought, oh, I think she's going to come on the 12th. My due date was technically the 18th, 16th or 18th, depending on how you calculate. But anyway, so it was a beautiful, crisp day. We went for a walk around. Emmy had me in all different kinds of positions. And I was on the peanut ball to accelerate contractions. And they started getting more intense. And the midwives came over about two and just checked everything and made sure I was doing well. Now, one thing I didn't do is I didn't do any cervical checks. So cervical checks means they go in and check how far you're dilated because I didn't want the number to get in my head. That was one of the things I learned in all my birthing prep is that, you know, if you think the number is going to get in your head, just don't get checked because, you know, then you can just allow labor to kind of progress as needed. So I didn't have any checks, really didn't know how I was progressing, but you know, the contractions intensify, they started coming more often. I kind of start to lose memory. What was the rest of Saturday like? Saturday and Sunday were a blur to me. It was a lot of moving around different positions, breathing with the contractions. It was really just taking it moment by moment and feeling into where you were, resting a little bit where you could. Come come Saturday evening, I mean, you were very exhausted. I, I was tired. So I didn't really sleep that night before either. However, Come Saturday evening, we're also talking about, I wonder where this baby is, why having the contractions intensified, which is an interesting... Well, they did. Well, yeah, intensified to the point where, okay, you think this baby's coming, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, well, they definitely did. You weren't with me in the bathroom. I'll get to that in a second, but... um one thing that really helped me in my labor, well, first of all, Emmy, my doula, she was really good with hands-on work, um, but making low sounds. So, and really keeping my body open. There's a tendency when we're in pain to kind of make ah, high pitch ah sounds and tighten. And I really stayed low like, oh, and that helped me. And the other thing that's so great about contractions is they don't last forever. There's a big wave and a peak, and then it comes down and you get a break. And so I would just, anytime I was in a contraction, I'd just be like, okay, okay, ride the wave. I'm coming. There will be a pause. There will be a break. So things intensified. The people that were here at that time were Steph and my best friend, Monica, and my doula, Emmy. 
and midwives were on call and Steph and Monica were exhausted. They laid down for a while in the living room and Emmy took me to the bathroom because a good place to labor is on the toilet because your body is used to relaxing on the toilet and releasing on the toilet. So it just sends a signal to the brain of like, oh, this is the place where we open and let go. And so she had me backwards on the toilet. And that's when I would say the peak of it was. And I think that's when I was in transition and didn't even know it. And honestly, when I could have pushed the baby out. But I was told that I would feel the urge to push, like it would feel like I had to poop. And I didn't feel that urge specifically. Um, so I didn't think I had transitioned. I didn't think I was fully dilated. I didn't think that she was ready. And I just want to share this because I've talked to a couple other women who also said, you know, I didn't feel that urge to poop either. And so not every woman's body is the same. And so if I go back and look at one thing I would have done differently or one thing I kind of beat myself up for is that I was sort of like listening to what someone else told me the urge would feel like instead of going, oh, wow, like this is intense. I think, I think we're close. So when, when I was in that space, Emmy had messaged the midwives and it's like, she's really, really close. And they were here and they were blowing up, not blowing up, but pumping up the birthing tub. Cause I really wanted to give birth in water or at least what? I've already pumped up the birthing tub. They were putting water in the tub. Oh yeah. We had the tub ready. It was in our guest room. Right. Right. And we put it in the living room. They were putting water in it, getting it all ready for me. And yeah, I really wanted to deliver in the tub um, and have that like, you know, beautiful moment in the middle of the night with Sonoma car playing and being peaceful. And <laughs> that was just not how it ended up happening. So I come out, the water's ready and I get in the water. Oh, and it feels so good. The water felt so good. It was warm. And this was the middle of the night. I stopped looking at clocks, so I had no idea what time it was. The contractions were really intense at that time. I'm in there for a while. Steph was holding my hands. Did you get in at any point with me? I don't think you did, did you? I did not. I was just on the outside on the outside holding me. I honestly knew and felt you weren't going to give birth in the tub. So I'm like, fuck it. There's no point in getting in. That's true. You did put your bathers on, though. Yeah. Yeah, I did put them on. Just for you. It's tokenistic. Thanks for that tokenistic gesture that I was so aware of while I was 24 hours plus into labor. So then I'm in the water and then the contractions slowed down a bit and we're like, oh, wrong direction. So we get me out of the tub, back onto the peanut ball. When I say peanut ball, it's this ball that looks like a peanut and you lay on your side and straddle it a bit and it makes the contractions intensify, or at least it did for me. And then the contractions just slowly over time, just stop after I had been in active labor for well over 24 hours at that point. And we were like, shoot, well, what's going on? And midwives and doula, like, you're just really tired. Your uterus is really tired. You've been contracting in the labor for a long time. Just rest. We'll see if we can get the contractions going. I'm like, I can't sleep. So then they whipped out the breast pump because sometimes the breast pump can help contractions get going, which then ended up damaging my nipples because it was the wrong flange size and it was just not a pleasant experience at all. And then uh, what else did we try? Herbs. Dancing. Yeah, dancing, making Herbs. out. Herbs, yeah. And it's not very hot to be like, okay, you guys go make out to try to get contractions going. <laughs> Neither one of us felt like making out at that moment. <laughs> We're both exhausted. I'm, I'm a little scared too because 
I know I'm creeping up on that 36-hour window and the contractions have stopped and I don't know where this baby is. And luckily, you know, her heart rate stayed stable the whole time and the midwives were monitoring it and everything like that. And so it got to the point, well, and what was going on behind the scenes? Like, what were you guys having conversations about when I was, wherever I was? The conversation was about what the action plan is if we hit the 36-hour mark. I think, I think, and I can't confirm this, but I think they are legally bound to bring you to a hospital or they, they are, sorry, they are legally bound to not be able to support you in the delivery of a baby post 36 hours. And so I was doing my best to understand the risks with that, not, not so much the legal risks, but the risks on your body and what would happen to you and what would happen to our daughter. And so I was managing that and attempting to have a very clear plan in place that if we, if we had to go down that route, we were ready for that. So it was just the logistics of handling that, we, even though we knew which hospital we were going to be at. And the hospital was like packed. Yeah, and, and we were ready for it just in case as a precaution. However, it wasn't something we anticipated, but it wasn't something that was desirable, not because we were against it, just because it wasn't our first choice. And so I was also wanting to, and manage isn't the right word, but consider your feelings as well and your potential disappointment and then how that would influence the continuation of giving birth as well if we had to go down that that path. And so I was just contemplating and, and feeling into how, you know, that would be communicated to you, of course, because I wanted you to know all the information you needed to, but I didn't want you to overthink and over-worry and have to... Me do that? <laughs> I can't even imagine. ...have to plan anything. And so, yeah, we were getting concerned. And it wasn't just to, because you're you're a little... Um, you were a little out of it, of course, and rightly yeah. so. You were working so hard. You were such a warrior. It was basically it was pretty much 36 hours on the dot because mm -hmm. she arrived at 12.13 p.m. Mm -hmm. and you went into labour at 11.49. So it was basically you know, a little over 36 hours. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to the rest of it yeah. soon. So, well, what I'll say is, for me, giving birth was the most embodied and out-of-body experience I've ever had at the same time. You know, usually you have a super embodied experience or you have an out-of-body experience. And to me, labor and delivery was both of those things. And I was in such a zone and I felt like it was just me and Athena. And, you know, I was really, I guess, nervous about the pain. And I have to say, it was painful. It was intense and painful, but it wasn't like, have you ever heard me say once like, oh my God, labor and birth was like the most excruciating, painful thing I've ever been through? Never. And I think it's appropriate to also say something else here. So the entire 36 hours, not once did you complain, not once did you ask, you know, when's this going to be over as an existential question or as a question to the midwives. Not once did you let anyone know that oh, I cannot do this for much longer. Not once did you even get upset. Whether you were thinking or not, I don't know, but you didn't mention it. You were just, you did what you were asked to do. You checked in with yourself. You continued to do your best. And, we, you know, with what you knew, and it was a very foreign experience, obviously, we were novel meaning it was the first time. And 
not once, not once did you move into that headspace. You were all about the process, which was really beautiful to witness. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I knew if I said I can't do this or if I gave up, that'd be the end of it. Uh, so I had to do that for myself, just really stay in a good headspace. And I think all the prepping work I did and the hypnobirthing I did just really, really, really helped me. And reading really empowering birth stories and, yeah, just, I don't know, like I – you know, Athena, and maybe some of y'all have heard me say this, Athena's name is not a name we chose. We were going to name her Isabella. But before we got pregnant, we knew we were going to have a girl for years and years. Before we even got pregnant, we felt her around. And there was one time we were in San Diego and she came to me and said, my name's not Isabella, my name's Athena. And I said to Steph, I think her name's Athena. And you love that name because of course it's Greek and it's your grandmother's name. So that name worked for you. But anyway, Athena is goddess of, of war and wisdom and she's very powerful. She's a warrior. And I knew if I was going to give birth to a warrior, I was going to have to be one. I didn't quite know what that meant, but it was revealed when the conversation became, okay, Christine, we think it's time to think about going to the hospital, go get an epidural, see if that let, allows you to sleep, allows your uterus to rest. And then the contractions will start again, or you get Pitocin to start contractions to basically get induced and hopefully the baby would come out. But I just had a feeling if I went to the hospital, I would have ended up with a C-section. And again, there's nothing wrong with C-sections. I don't have any judgment on them. I just didn't envision that for myself. And um, also really felt like Athena wanted to be born at home. So... We had this conversation and I said, well, what are my other options? And they're like, well, we don't really don't know how far you are dilated. Do you want a cervical check? And I thought, okay, there, there's a risk here, but I, we need to know what we're working with here because we can't make decisions if we don't know how far along I am. So go in the bedroom, Meg, it was Meg and Brittany were my midwives. And she gives me a check and she's like, oh my God, oh my gosh. She was shocked. She says, you are fully faced fully dilated. I can feel your baby's head. Your baby is here. Your baby's right here. Oh, it gets me so emotional. <laughs> and I was relieved. Like I was so relieved that she was that close. And I was, she's like, now we just need to get the contractions going. And I was like, huh? Let's be clear on yeah. something. So at about 8am ish, Sunday morning, Christine's contractions stopped completely. Oh, even before that they stopped, but they stopped completely at 8 a.m., yeah. 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 So your uterus basically said, fuck it, I'm out. I need yeah. a rest. Yeah. And. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uterus was done, <laughs> but this baby, it's time to get this baby out. So I said, well, I said to my midwife, can I push her out without contractions? And she said, I've never seen anyone do that. She's had hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a thousand births. And then she said the best thing to me. She said, but Christine, I've never seen you give birth. And I was like, no, you haven't. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to push her out. And so I don't know how many hours it took. It took a lot of hours probably. Uh, it was about two and a half hours, three hours without contractions, pure sheer will and mental force of 
I guess your mind telling your brain to tell your body to push or whatever pushing resembled for your body to do that without the assistance of or the active assistance of your uterus. Yeah. So most of the time you push on a contraction. So the contraction helps push the baby out. So you're pushing with the contraction. You're pushing on breath, basically. Yeah. Tempo and timing of breath. And yeah. So we tried all different positions. The birth tub was out <laughs> at that point. Like that thing was not going to be used. Have they packed it up at that point? Who even no. knows? I don't even know. I was all over. We hung a sheet over the door for me to hang on to try to get leverage. And my midwives really were helping because, you know, I had to just figure out how to push. And we tried on my back, which I never thought I'd do, but I actually got good leverage that way. But just hours and hours of just pushing and and trying to get her out and you know, I'd, I'd feel her head and then she'd kind of go back in and i push more. It was like, I felt like I was taking two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And I was really, really tired. And little baby, she, her heart rate was mm. stable the whole way through. She's so resilient. She's so beautiful. I look at her now, I look at her personality oh. now and imagine, I imagine her little personality in, in your womb back then. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not the case per yeah. se. It sort of is. The seeds of it were there. But, um, well, we see how persistent she is now. She's so persistent. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Anyway. So what ended up happening was, you know, I was starting to feel the crown of her head and I was like, okay, it's go time. I got to get this baby out. And if there's one thing I was a little nervous about in delivery, it was the ring of fire, um, which is basically when the head kind of comes out and it can be, it can be painful. So. I was like a little bit dreading that piece, but I wasn't getting enough leverage on my back or any other way. So I ended up, we ended up rolling out my yoga mat and holding on to the banister of my stairwell in a full on squat and Steph supporting me. And the whole time I was pushing, I would just have to go one, two, three, and then just push with everything I had. And I would do it for like, how long would I try each time? Anywhere from five to ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. Of, of very, very intense pushing. Yeah, but I do that three times in a row. I go one, two, three, and push, and then yeah. one, two, three, and push, and then one, two, three, and push, and then I take a break. And then a little break. Yeah. Yeah, and then it got, we got closer. I had to grab that stairwell of the banister. I got in a full-on squat, and I don't even remember, babe, what happened then. You'll have to tell me. Well, what happened was, you came closer and closer, and a her head really started yeah. popping out and you could even, there was a point where you could even see it mm. and it was right there and it stayed there and it hovered, her head hovered there. Because she, she had black hair. <laughs> I know, I know. It was the most profound, amazing thing to witness to, and to to know, you know, and I, don't, I don't think I have an advanced understanding of human physiology but I have a fairly comprehensive understanding of human physiology and knowing you were doing that without the full support of your uterus was just mind-blowing to me and I didn't doubt for a moment that you couldn't do it because back to what Meg said, she also said to you, I don't know if you remember this, I don't think you mentioned it now, she also said, yes, I've never seen you give birth, but she also said, if I believe anyone can do it, I believe you can. And I don't know if that was just something she said in the moment to inspire you 
But, you know, it was also, I think, a risk for them to say that or a risk for them to allow that to happen, knowing that your uterus wasn't really contracting. There was just a deep level of belief there and they weren't breaking breaking any legal boundaries, of course. You had every right. You were in your time frame. You had every right to continue the contractions. Could have come. The baby back. wasn't in distress at all. At all. Again, the heart rate was so stable. She's such a. She was just. It felt like she was just really calm in there, just waiting. Um, but that was. Well, they should do that in the stroller or high chair now. When she's asked to wait, <laughs> she's not so calm now. No, she's not. <laughs> She's a trip. So anyway, I eventually got her out (laughs) and it was crazy and it took every ounce of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual strength. And I'm so grateful for my midwives, Meg and Brittany. They were amazing, just amazing at coaching me, of encouraging me and just like handling things from the, from the medical perspective. And my doula emmy robin was amazing and my best friend monica just there holding space for me and i i've seen two of three two of her three children be born i was right there with her so it felt beautiful to have her at at our birth so yeah holding on to the banister and she just she she eventually came out and one thing my midwives did tell me is they said okay we can do this but you know, you can push her out without contractions, but once she comes out, we have to give you a shot of Pitocin because you've got to get your placenta out. And at that point I was like, fine, she's out. You can give me a shot of Pitocin. Like I, that's fine. But I just want to get her out myself. So she came out, she came out screaming, came out screaming right away. Those lungs were working. And she went right on my chest and she peed all over me. (laughs) (laughs) But I was in shock. I mean, I was exhausted, but just pumped full of adrenaline. And I definitely think that there was some trauma too because of the intensity and because of the, it did feel a little like life or death may sound dramatic, but I definitely felt the pressure. Um, And once I started the journey of pushing her, that did feel like life or death because I'm like, I have no options. I have no, like, I can't go to the hospital halfway there. Like I have to get her out. And so I definitely felt the pressure of that. And so when she was, it was like, it was just a shock. And, you know, meeting your baby for the first time, it's it's such a surreal experience because they're like this totally new person that you've known forever at the same time. And, you know, they go from this beautiful, like, womb to the world, you know, and it's just a shock. And and I have just so much compassion for mamas who, especially if you've had any kind of difficult birth, like you just have to go straight into caring for your baby. And there's really not a lot of time to process like what just happened. You know, giving birth is, is one of the most natural things in the world, but it's also crazy. It's crazy and intense. At least it was for me. And, you know, there's really not... <laughs> time to to process all that. I mean, I think I'm still processing it and, you know, being in shock when you're, when you meet your baby for the first time is, is a trip for sure. And, you know, for me, the vision I had of like her coming out in water and it being all beautiful and amazing. And, you know, like you see an Instagram on all the doula and midwives 
you know, reels and whatever they're called feeds. And Athena's birth was definitely more raw <laughs> and warrior-esque, I guess I could say. Um, but it, it took me a while to come back in my body and feel like I could even begin to process what happened. It was very, I don't even think I have words for the entire experience and the gratitude and the awe that I have for you. And because you were right, I knew, or we all knew that you're either giving birth now or the chances of complications happening if you couldn't were going to increase dramatically. Mm -hmm. And even though we had that awareness and held that awareness, we knew, I knew that baby was coming because she was right there when you were fully dilated. Like she was right there ready. That gave me a lot of confidence understanding that process. But I think it gave us all a lot of confidence and, and readiness to say, yep, this baby is actually coming. Could be in the next 30 minutes, could be in the next hour or so, two hours, whatever it may be, but this baby's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just, you just didn't, you did not falter once. You were so committed and you weren't, it wasn't that you were stubborn. You had this knowing and this deep connection to her, and this deep connection to your body. I've never seen you have before. Yeah. We always say that out of you and I, I'm the one that's way more connected to my body, et cetera, et cetera. In that moment, you epitomized embodiment. Thank you, babe. Thank you for having my back literally in that whole experience and being the best partner. And you were just there with me every step of the way. And yeah, she she came out. It was a surreal experience. But even that, like, I couldn't fully just be present in that because I we had to get the placenta out. There was, you know, because usually your uterus is still contracting and it just comes out naturally, but my uterus wasn't contracting. So that was something that was on the mi- my mind and midwives are talking to me, Hey, we got to give you the shot now and you got to work on getting this placenta out. So I was like half. I, hmm? I, I supported there. I, I, yeah. So they, they asked me and I said, yes, let's go. And it's really beautiful. The placenta came out so beautifully. It did. It did. Well, I, yeah, they told me what to do and how to move it. And it was out and it was like a huge relief. And then we could just give all the attention to Athena. And then I I don't even remember the walk from our staircase back into the bedroom. I know I was holding her, but I have no idea how I got myself from the stairwell to our bedroom. I I lifted you up and and walked you Mm. and held you, walked you over. But to be honest, I mean, you could have done it by yourself. That's how strong you were. And I know that you just went through – 36 hours of labor, but you could have walked by yourself. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. So in our bedroom and we weighed her and we measured her and she nursed for the first time. And we just started to fall in love with our girl, Athena. Well, we were already in love with her, but it's different when they come out and you actually see their little face and, And she looked exactly like her papa. And I thought to myself, if I didn't just push this kid out of my body, I would question whether she was mine or not. (laughs) 
because she looks like her papa. And, you know, there's this thing that newborns do right when they're born. There's like a four hour window that they sleep. And they were like, listen, you guys sleep. And I couldn't sleep. I was still on adrenaline. I don't think I slept the first week she was born. I haven't slept in eight and a half months, but especially that first week, I just was just in awe. And also in like, oh my God, what do we do with this baby? It's a little daunting when everyone leaves and you're just left with your baby. You're like, oh my God. That was very scary, actually. That was quite confronting going from two to three and then being responsible for this child and really having no fucking idea about anything. But we worked it out very quickly. And, And one thing I will say as well is prior to having Athena, I would be very Awkward is not the right word, but not confident in holding babies. The moment Athena came, it took me about 24 hours. But after that, I was holding her, picking her up with one hand. It wasn't an issue. I was able to change her neighbors. I thought I'd never be able to do that. I just It just happens very quickly. And, you know, one becomes adept and connected and just committed very quickly because of the love that's there and the affection. And she spent a lot of time on your chest, your bare chest. She did, she did a lot of skin to skin with you, which is one of the best ways papas can bond because the mamas have that nine months to really bond. And it's so important for the papas to have that, that skin to skin time with her. But I just remember I'd sleep and you'd be on the couch or wherever and she'd just be asleep in her little diaper with a blanket on top of you. Three to six hours every day at least Yeah, for the first three or four weeks yeah at least yeah we just we took our coffee tables out of our living room and we put some mats down and we just laid around and got to know our baby and watched some movies and in so many ways it was easy and hard at the same time like yeah anyway we're now we're going into part two three four five six seven eight nine (laughs) Well, if you listen this far, thank you for listening. Thank you for, yeah, just being part of our experience. And just want to say again, for anyone who's had a child or children, that whatever your birth was, was absolutely perfect. You know, I've had judgment on myself that I should have known to push earlier. And did I, you know, traumatize my child because she was ready to come out and I didn't let her come out, not let her, but I didn't, you know, know to push. And, and, um, I just keep reminding myself that, you know, I had the birth that Athena and I needed and that we were supposed to have. And it turned out to be beautiful, not exactly like I expected, but beautiful. And, but I even said before I have birth, there's a birth you plan and then there's a birth you have. And the most important thing is that we have a healthy baby girl. That was always the most important thing, no matter what the intention was that the baby and mama are healthy and very, very grateful and feel very, very, very blessed for that. She's just the biggest, the biggest blessing that has presented itself in my own life and I think us as well. And, you know, we're going through a lot of changes and it's, it's definitely a big transition and transformation, far bigger than we could have, than I could have ever envisioned. And we're working through that and at the same time we're prioritising her health and her well-being and her development, which makes it a little more challenging to also, I think, work with the transition itself and the grief. But again, that's 
part two, part three. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. Conversation. Oof, it is. It is. Oh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening to our story. Sending you so much love and many blessings. Until next time.